Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9, 11 a.m. at the main campus. At 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. We hope that God blesses you through doing so. Welcome this morning to Faith Assembly of God. So good. To, how many glad you came to church today? Isn't God awesome? What a joy to be in his presence this morning. We welcome all of our guests, friends. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're right in the middle of the story. And we have come to the climax of the story. It's Jesus Christ. Everything they talked about in the Old Testament pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are now at that time and that season when Jesus is going to launch his ministry and set out. Now, let me just throw this in real quick. I think it's kind of cool. In fact, I only wish it had started maybe last year when we began our journey in the story. Tonight, the History Channel is doing a whole series on the Bible. I've seen some clips from it. It's going to be powerful. I believe it's going to give you and your families a chance to sit down and watch it together and talk about each event as it, as it unfolds in the Word of God. And, and it, uh, So let me start with the Old Testament tonight and catching up down the road. But uh, DVR it. It's at 8 o'clock. You probably have time to get home after our equipped classes tonight. Or if not, DVR it, TVO it, or whatever other name you got for it. And... Uh, and get it recorded, and I know your family will enjoy that very much. Take your Bibles out, turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse 35. The adventure begins. We're going to begin this adventure that Jesus Christ embarks on, but more than that, he wants to be us to be a part of that adventure, finding our mission and purpose in life. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word this morning. John 1 and verse 35. And the next day, John was there again, and he saw two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus pass by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying. They spent that day with him, and it was about the 10th hour. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what Jesus had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Father, today as we bring your word, we do thank you for your sweet spirit, the Holy Spirit that's here to uh, allow the word to come and find fertile ground in our hearts and lives. And I pray, Lord, that we will hear what you have to tell us today. I thank you, God. I pray for anyone in here who may not have yet started this incredible journey, that you will speak directly to their hearts and their lives. And they will come to know you and discover you for themselves. We love you, God, and we thank you for your great love and your mercy and grace. We ask you now to anoint the word as it goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me ask you a question today. How many, how many people are in here are morning people? Let me see your hands. You're just great in the morning. You get up. Eh, that's most of you. I, I'm, I'm curious to see what the late service is going to say at 11 o'clock. Uh, how many, like me, are late people? Let me see your hand. You come alive at night. You're ready to party all night long. But in the morning, uh, you need a couple of cups of coffee to get you up and going. Okay, differences here. Uh, how many in here are PC people? Let me see your hand with your computers. 
You know what I'm talking about? PC, personal computer. How many are Mac people? Let me see your hand. Okay, got a, got a few of those differences out here today. Now let me ask you another question, and you don't have to raise your hands on this, but how many in here are saints? Raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. You'd, fall, you'd say, I fall in the saint category. How many would say, I fall in the sinner category? Don't, don't. Well, it was a kind of trick question, but let me just say this. If you're a child of God, you're a saint. I've got great news for you. He calls you saints because you are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are not saved by our own works and anything else we do. We're saved purely by the grace of God. And when Christ comes in, he makes us a saint. Turn to someone, if you know their name, and say, hey, St. Joe, St. Sally. Just, just say it real quick. How many would say, you know, I'm on a mission from God. And then on the other hand, how many would say, you know what, pastor, I haven't quite figured it all out yet. I don't know where I belong. I don't exactly know what my purpose is. I really haven't discovered my mission. Listen, this morning, I want this whole message to allow you to become very clear on what your mission is. What is your mission? What is your assignment in life? Why does God have you here on this earth? I want to tell you, following Jesus Christ is an absolutely incredible adventure. It is the most exciting, joy-filled life you can ever know. It is phenomenal. And we're going to look at the life of Christ and we're going to see how it unfolds in John's gospel today. Now, let me just give you, catch you up to speed real quick. Uh, we're learning about the Lord Jesus Christ in this section of the story. And we're learning about his life through four different viewpoints in what we call the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And everyone tells the same story of the Lord Jesus Christ, but from their own vantage point. And when you look at Matthew's gospel, Matthew's purpose is to set out to prove Jesus Christ is the king. Now we know that because Matthew traces his genealogy back to David. And so he is going to prove that Jesus Christ is the king of kings. He's the descendant of David who would rule and reign over the throne of David forever and ever. And so he's going to bring out the fact Jesus the king. Mark is going to bring out the fact that Jesus is the servant. You see, Mark's gospel has no genealogy because for servants, for slaves, genealogies weren't important. And so they didn't need a genealogy. And you see these words in Mark's gospel, he was immediately sent. It is like Jesus is on a mission from his father because he is the perfect servant for us. And you look at Luke's gospel and you get the idea of Jesus as the son of man. And, and Luke traces the genealogy of Christ all the way back to Adam because he's going to talk about the, the, the manhood side of Jesus Christ and prove that Jesus Christ is indeed the second Adam. And so we see that in Luke. And you see a longer birth narrative there. You go into the whole detail of Mary's pregnancy and the birth narrative and all that's going on. And they, even in this story, is the only gospel to say he goes up into the temple and he's presented to be circumcised on the eighth day. And you, so you get that whole scenario playing out in the gospel of Luke. Luke, uh, John's gospel sets out to prove that Jesus is God. He is the divine, incredible Son of God. In fact, he has no lineage in John's gospel. He simply starts, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And so John is going to talk about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll see some things in John that you don't see in the other gospel accounts. You'll see these incredible I am statements that points back to uh, Abraham at the burning bush uh, where, where he says, tell him the I am God, the I am of Abraham Isaac and Jacob is sending you, Yahweh. And so when Jesus uses those I am statements in the book of John, he's going to, on some occasions, they want to try to stone him because they know he's claiming to be God. And he says, my existence was from eternity. For before Abraham was Yahweh, I am. And so he's claiming to be God. And all his listeners knew exactly what he was talking about. And so this morning, we're going to look at John's account, John's narrative as we look at Jesus Christ launching his ministry. And so we've got to ask ourselves the question, who is this man that changed the entire course of history? Who is this person, Jesus? And I want to tell you that every single one of us in our own lives have got to answer that question for ourselves. Let's look at some testimonies from the word of God today. First of all, let's look at the testimony of John the Baptist. John the Baptist calls him in verse 36, the Lamb of God. What an incredible title for who Christ is. The the Lamb of God. Verse 36. Now, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is 400 years of silence. And John is the very last prophet in the word of God, and, and, and he breaks that silence. And this wild, crazy-looking guy, long hair, comes out of the wilderness, goes down to the Jordan River. He, is, he is, uh, has uh, camel's hair on his body, a leather belt. Uh, he ate locusts. How many had your locusts this morning for breakfast? Now, if you do, make sure if you eat your locust, put a little honey on top of it. It'll go down easier. And so the Bible says that his diet consisted of locust and, and wild honey. And so he comes out and the crowd's attracting. And he is going to introduce God's solution to the problems of man. And he says, make straight the way for the Lord. Now, when he says, make straight the way for the Lord, he is quoting from Isaiah and also Malachi. And so right away, every one of his listeners know that he is the forerunner that was prophesied that would come and prepare the way for Jesus Christ or the Messiah to come. And so he's identifying himself as that forerunner. And he's going to introduce not a religious system. Uh, He's he's not going to introduce a new set of creeds and doctrines, uh, but God's solution to the problems of mankind is going to be found in a person, Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, the the first thing Jesus Christ does, or John does in his ministry is he baptizes Jesus Christ. Wasn't exciting this morning? To see those, those brand new believers, brand new converts being baptized in water. And they're actually following the example set by Jesus Christ. And if you haven't yet been baptized, you need to do that. And he took Jesus Christ and he immerses him in the water and brings him up. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit came and descended on him in the form of a dove. And so there you have the testimony of God. And that was also his anointing for work and service and ministry. And then you hear this voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you have this this divine uh, realization, this recognition of, of who Jesus Christ is. He is absolutely the son of God. Look at the phrase, Lamb of God. 
interesting term to describe Jesus Christ in verse 36. You know, uh, it, it, it was right around Passover time when Jesus Christ is baptized in water. And maybe, maybe they're bringing their lambs and they're driving them into Jerusalem to be slaughtered for, their, for that baptismal, t- for that uh, Passover time. And so, so he, he may have thought, the perfect lamb is here. It went back to the time when, when the nation of Israel is in bondage in Egypt. And God says, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to kill that lamb, and I want you to take some of the lamb and put it on top of the doors and on the sides of the door, and wherever I see the blood, I will pass over. And all the firstborn in the nation of Egypt are destroyed except wherever he saw the blood. Listen, the rules are still the same today. He still says, wherever I see the blood, I will pass over. And the question today is, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Has the blood of the Lamb been applied to your life? His mind might have went back to Abraham and Isaac as they marched up. Mount Moriah and they're climbing this mountain and they've got the wood and they've got the knife and they've got the fire for the sacrifice. But Isaac said, dad, dad, where is the lamb? And, and Abraham says something not only for that occasion, but I believe prophetically because he says, God himself will provide a lamb pointing to Jesus Christ, who would be that perfect, sinless lamb of God. Listen, I've got good news for you today, church. Uh, The sacrifice has been made uh, once and for all when Jesus Christ gave his life for us. And if we'll put our faith and trust in him, we can know that perfect, sinless lamb of God. The lamb of God. What a testimony. Do you know the lamb today? As you look at the book of John and the other gospels, you, you, you see that the ministries of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus Christ overlapped for a time until John the Baptist is arrested by Herod and, and put into prison. And up till that time, he encourages disciples to follow Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one you're looking after. The the, the one who comes after me is the one I'm pointing to. I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandals. That's the one you need to follow. And, And the Bible, we read it in the account this morning, in our text this morning, some of the disciples, John's disciples, begin to follow Jesus Christ. Now I want you to fast forward in this story of John very quickly. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Go to Matthew 11. John has now been arrested for taking a stand against Herod and his uh, adulterous relationship. And in in chapter 11 and verse 2, and John heard in prison what Christ was doing. He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? I told everybody you were the Messiah. I told everybody you were the Lamb. You were the one we've been waiting for all these years. And now, God, if you're the one, what am I doing here in prison? Have you ever felt like that? You go through your trial. You go through your test. You feel like you're in a prison. And you've heard the stories, but but it's not happening for you. And somehow our belief system crashes with reality. 
And, when we, and, and there's those times of doubt I think every single one of us struggle with and we cry out, God, where are you at? I'm here in prison. I, I want you to look at Jesus' answer. It's, it, it is incredible. And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Listen, and you're going to learn as we begin to study the life of Christ. Uh, every miracle Jesus Christ did, uh, every time he cast out a demon, uh, was a declaration that the kingdom of God has come. The king is here. He's come. Every story, every parable, every miracle is a declaration of the kingdom of God now come in their midst. And I believe that when they took John out to be beheaded because of his stand for God, that he had convinced in his brain, convinced in his mind that, yes, Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God got to answer that question today who is this man who is this man is it your lamb is it your sacrifice has he carried your sins away lamb of god i also want you to notice another testimony i want you to see andrew's testimony and look at verse number 41 again verse 41 and andrew's testimony and it says there And and the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. The Messiah, that was Andrew's testimony. We found the one we've been looking for all these years, the one every prophet talked about, he's here. Our deliverer, our Messiah, the Christ is here. Jesus Christ returns victorious in battle with the devil. Right after he's baptized, the first thing that happens is the Bible says he is led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And you have this 40-day and 40-night showdown between Satan and Jesus Christ. And in, in the synopsis we get, you get those three temptations, but I believe it went throughout the duration of those 40 days and 40 nights as Christ did battle. It was a foretaste of that battle that would culminating calvary in the empty tomb and 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 he and he comes back and and he's he's done this battle with the enemy now the first thing jesus christ is going to do is he's going to begin to build his new society that is going to champion the kingdom of god and so he's going to begin to recruit soldiers who will carry on his victory so he's got to surround himself with just the right people who will carry on his mission now, when Jesus Christ comes back, he, he comes as a rabbi. And a rabbi was a teacher, and, and they even recognize him here in the text as, as rabbi. Let me give you just a little background. Jewish students were educated up to the age of about 14. And after the age of 14, and you got your primary education, you would, most of them would go back to their trade of their fathers. And so if your dad was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. If your dad was a fisherman, you carried on the business, and you were a fisherman. James and John were following right in the steps of their father's business as fishermen. And, so, and yet the rabbis had a way of looking for the best and brightest to make their followers. 
And it was hard to make the cut. Only a very few made the cut to go into rabbi training, rabbi education, personal lifelong training by the rabbi, also getting them to be rabbis and Jewish leaders as well. Only a very few made the cut. Jesus Christ goes to the common, ordinary person. And he says, follow me. Every rabbi who would gather his following of students, he would recruit them by using those two words, follow me. Now, here's what I want you to get in the story. Andrew's a nobody. He's a fisherman. He didn't make the cut. He's already back in his father's business. None of the other rabbis wanted Andrew. But aren't you glad uh, when the chief rabbi comes along and says, follow me. Uh, The good news is, he says to every single one of us, uh, no matter how dumb or how slow or how smart or how goofy or how uncoordinated or how uncharismatic we may be, uh, Jesus Christ will walk up to you and say, follow me. And in fact, this always blew away the Pharisees and Sadducees because they were remarked the common people heard him gladly. Uh, and they were surprised that, he, that the publicans or tax collectors uh, and the sinners or prostitutes, uh, they were a part of the rabble that followed Jesus Christ. Follow me. And so the soldiers of the new kingdom will be made primarily of fishermen and tax collectors and sinners. Aren't you glad? He'll say to you, he'll say to me, follow me, follow me. I don't deserve it. Follow me. Now, discovering your purpose, discovering your great adventure begins by answering those two words, follow me. It starts with a call to follow Jesus Christ. But it does not end there. Because you are also called to a purpose. And while it's not recorded in John's gospel, it is in the other synoptic gospels. Because he says, follow me. And Matthew adds this line. And I will make you fishers of men. You see, when you are called to follow Christ, you are called to a purpose. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. You see, you see, many people follow Christ for fire insurance. I, and by the way, we had a fire at our other campus this week at, uh, the, at our north campus. Uh, the children's building caught on fire. So uh, they're, they're in a little quandary over there right now. Aren't you glad you're here? We got construction problems. They got fires at our other campus. Uh, follow me. Follow me. Many follow for, they don't want to go to hell. They want to go to heaven. They want the the fire insurance. God just saved me so I don't have to go to hell. Others follow Christ because I want forgiveness of sins. and, And I want all this guilt that I've been carrying around. I want it taken away. I want it out of my life. And many follow because they want all the blessings that God has to give. Let me tell you, that is all true. God will allow you to go to heaven. God will bring you into his new home. God will bless your life. God will take every sin away. But the primary purpose of your calling is to make you a fisher of men. Is to reproduce that life of Christ, to connect other people to Christ, that they too might experience his life. Follow him, follow him. And he will make you fishers of men. God wants to work 
his love through you to touch other people. Follow him. Now, how, how many in this uh, in the house have a bucket list? You've made up your own bucket list. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I guess some of you guys aren't going to die for a long time, and so it's not really high on your agenda. And so maybe I, I, I've, I've got a little bucket list going on in my mind. Don't know if I've ever written it down before, but I've got a couple things on my personal bucket list. One is, one day I want to make it to Egypt and dive in the Red Sea. I understand it's absolutely phenomenal over there, and I want to see all the ruins of Egypt. That's one of the countries I haven't been to yet. So going to Egypt, Jeannie, one day we're going to be doing that. That's on my bucket list, and we'll dive right there in the Red Sea. And, And another thing on my bucket list is to go to Australia and dive the Great Barrier Reef with those white sharks. Great. How many, how many of that's on your bucket list? Isn't that going to be cool? They say the waters on the Great Barrier Reef around Australia are absolutely phenomenal. And so I, one of these days I will get there to New Zealand and Australia and over to that part of the world. But let me tell you, God has a bigger plan and a bigger agenda than your own personal bucket list. And that is simply this. Every day his his call for you, his purpose for you is follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The two go together. Turn, turn if you would to Matthew chapter five, Matthew five. And look at verse number 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus Christ is the ultimate light. You'll see that word used a lot in John's gospel. He is the light of the world. He has come into the world. He lights every man who comes into the world, John chapter 1. And so Jesus Christ is that ultimate light. But here he says, you are a light set on the hill. The idea is that light of Christ that's within us should be shining out to other people. He's the light, but we are simply the the, uh, uh, conveyors of that light. It simply shines through our life so that everybody, when they look look at you, they see Christ. They feel his love. They, they sense his presence because he is shining brightly through you. And so the, the God must first do something in you. That's the follow me part so that ultimately he can serve other people through you. That's being light. Letting your light shine. And sometimes your light will shine simply by letting them see your good works. And it will cause them, as Matthew said, to glorify their fa- your Father in heaven. And sometimes you've got to be ready to give an answer for the faith you believe in. And we open up our mouth and we listen to the Holy Spirit and he directs us and he guides and we're sensitive to, to when to talk to people and what to say and the right words. And the Holy Spirit gives us those right things to say that we might be effective witnesses for him. Uh, we're not responsible for the outcome, but only our obedience. Listen, we are on a mission from God. I want everybody to say this with me. I am on a mission from God. Now, some of you didn't join in that last time. I'm going to do it one more time. I want you to say it with some conviction. I am on a mission from God. Isn't that awesome? We're on a mission. A mission from God. Andrew's on a mission. The Bible says the first thing he does is he goes and he finds his brother. Now, God's placed you in your unique family for a reason, to be a light to your family. 
And it says, first, Andrew went to find his brother. And so you need to model and, and show the love of Christ right there in your own house, in your own home. We are our brother's keeper. And then it says, first, he went and found his brother. It, it implies Andrew didn't stop there. He was a witness the rest of his life. He's the one who brought the boy. Remember with the, 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 the loaves and the fishes to Jesus Christ? And Jesus Christ took that and he blessed it and he broke it and he multiplied and he fed the masses. It was Andrew that brought that boy to Jesus Christ. Andrew's the one who brought some Greeks to Jesus Christ shortly before he was crucified. And they're, they're looking for answers and they're wanting to know who this Jesus Christ is. Now, Andrew, it's interesting, there's no sermons in the Bible recorded given by Andrew. There's no books written by Andrew. But the one thing we know about Andrew is he was a soul winner. And everybody in the house today can be a soul winner. You might not be a preacher, you might not be an author, you might not be something else, a, a professor, but listen, every single one of you can be soul winners. That's what God has called us to do, to be soul winners for him. And he says, we have found the Messiah. The Messiah, that word means anointed one. He was the one that was anointed by the Spirit of God. He is the one that is sent by God, anointed by the Holy Spirit, to set the captive free. Turn to Luke chapter 4, just to get a handle on what that anointing is all about. Luke 4 and verse number 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's referring to his anointed. It happened at his baptism. He's just come back from his temptation, goes into the synagogue. Because he hath anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, the release to the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, this is found in Isaiah, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He's finished teaching. He's done. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then he drops the bomb. And he began by saying to them, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The anointed one. You know, the good news is God has that same anointing for every single child of God. And the works that Christ did, we can do also. There's an anointing to carry out that task that God's called us to do to make fishers of men. To pray for the sick and watch and be healed. To open up our mouth and declare the year of the Lord's favor. That yes, Christ has come and we are in that time of jubilee. And, and yes, you could be set free from any sin and any bondage. And there's that anointing that rests in our lives. For Christ followers. The anointing. Listen, I want to tell you something. Everybody at Faith Assembly of God is on a mission. You are on a mission. You're a part of this great adventure, and we are called to make disciples. That's our mission. So at Faith Assembly of God, we pray bold prayers. We serve joyfully and faithfully. We give generously. We go forward in faith and obedience, and we always make room for other people. Because this church is not about us. It's about the thousands uh, that are still out there that need to know about the love of Jesus Christ. We're on a mission, church. And when we do that, we will experience the blessing and favor of God. There's a third testimony I want you to notice very quickly. And it's found in the, part, uh, the, in the latter part of this chapter. And it's Nathaniel's testimony. And let me just read verse 43 to you. 
And then the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him those two words again, follow me. Now, Philip and Nathaniel, they, they had this custom. They, they used to sit under the fig tree. And they'd sit under the fig tree and they'd tell the stories from the Old Testament. And they'd talk about Moses and they, they'd talk about the prophets. And, and every time their discussion led to one day, the Messiah is going to come. One day, the, the one the prophets talked about is coming. And I can just uh, picture them, envision them, sitting under that fig tree, musing about the day when Jesus Christ would come, wondering when he will be there. And now Philip discovers him. Philip finds him. And the first thing he goes is to Nathaniel. And he says, we found the guy. I think we found him. This is him. And he says, by the way, he's from the village of Nazareth. Now, the Bible tells us something about Nathaniel. Nathaniel was very open and honest and very transparent. He could also be very blunt. Whatever was on his mind came out. There was no guile in him. There was no secrecy in him. Uh, and so he blurts out, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was the armpit of Israel. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And, and Philip doesn't defend his position. He just simply says, Come and see. Come and see. And that invitation always goes out, come and see. Uh, in the New Testament, it's come and drink to the, water, to the lady at the well or, or, or come and dine. Uh, or we see these ex- invitation expressions to come and enjoy the fullness of God's grace. And I want to tell you this morning, uh, the invitation will go out again, come and see. Just come and see. And when you see people out there and they don't know what's going on at their school uh, and at the workplace and wherever you're at and they're dazed and confused, uh, they don't know what they're looking for, say to them, come and see what God's doing at Faith Assembly of God. There's exciting things happening there. Just come and see. You may not have all the answers for them. You may not have uh, uh, all the theology down pat, but you can tell anybody you see, come and see what God is doing at Faith Assembly of God. Come and see. Do you realize that a survey showed 85%, listen to this, 85% of all converts are brought to Christ by someone they trust. Either a family member, a friend, or an associate. 85% of anybody who gets saved comes because there's someone they trusted share with them. Come and see. And the most authentic witnessing, listen to this, most authentic witnessing, wit- witnessing takes place in the first two years following their conversion. That's sad. How many have been saved two years or less? Let me see your hand. You've been saved two years or less. That's not great, church. Not, we should have a lot more in here. How many have been saved over two years? Let me see your hand. Okay. Now, here's what the statistic shows. Most soul winning is done by those who have been saved less than two years. And and the reason for that is because after we get saved and we've been saved for two years, all of our friends are Christians. We've cut off our old acquaintances, our old associations, and so now all of our buddies are in church. And we have a great time in church, and we have a lot of friends here. And that's important, but but we've kind of left the others behind. Or because we've lost our sense of purpose and our zeal. 
we never retire from God's mission. You never stop being a fisherman. You never stop throwing out the net. You never stop witnessing and soul winning. He says, I will make you fishers of men. You know, when Philip comes to Nathaniel, Nathaniel asks him a question. Uh, when, when talking to Jesus Christ, Jesus comes to him now. He's brought by Philip. And, and Nathaniel says, how do you even know me? And Jesus says, you know what? I saw you sitting under this tree. Now, how many know there's no tree that can hide you from the presence and eyes of God? There's no barrier, there's no office cubicle, there's no classroom, there's no bedroom that can hide you from the eyes of God. There are no barriers that can seal your soul from the eyes of Christ. He knows us. He knows our down-sitting, he knows our uprising, he knows our thoughts. Uh, He's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Christ knows all about us. That's great news, by the way. And then jump down to verse 50 and 51. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You shall see greater things. Everybody say, greater things than these. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, there's an incredible analogy there, and I don't have time to go into the entire story. But just quickly, turn back to to Genesis chapter 28. He is saying he sees the angels and descending upon the Son of Man, Jesus Christ himself. He is referring back to a vision that Jacob had several thousand years earlier in Genesis 28 and verse number 11. And when he had reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with his top reaching to heaven. Now, Jacob sees a stairway and it reaches from the earth to the heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Jump down to verse 17. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, when Jesus Christ tells Nathanael, he says, I saw, he says, I saw a ladder ascending and descending on the son of man. He is saying, I'm the one. I'm the one Jacob talked about. And not only that, I am the key to an open heaven. There is no other way to get to the Father except through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way. And he says, Jesus Christ is the house of God. Jesus Christ is the gate of heaven. He is the awesome place. It is his awesome presence. Through Jesus Christ, all the resources of heaven are available to the child of God. Isn't that good news? Uh, Jesus Christ provides us access. Uh, No man cometh to the Father but by me. So what is he claiming? Whatever we need in life is found in Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. Uh, It is all found in Jesus Christ. He is our all-sufficiency. Listen, we don't go seeking after gifts. We seek Christ himself. He's the ladder. He's the key to the open heaven. It's Christ. 
And so if you need purity in your life, uh, give your life to Christ, uh, and he is that holy thing that comes down and dwells inside of us. If you want life, uh, the Bible says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, uh, Jesus Christ. You want strength in your life. The Lord is the strength of my life. And so we don't seek strength and life and purity. We seek Christ. We pursue him. And with him comes all those things. The ladder comes down from heaven to earth. Christ came down from heaven to earth. And when he came down from heaven to earth, he came down as the perfect both son of God and son of man. He was the son of God and the son of man. And he came down to earth to reach man, to reach us. And there is no one too wicked or too sinful whom the Lord cannot save because he's come down. And he takes us from the depth of our sin and our shame. And the Bible says we are seated with him in heavenly places today. I like that phrase in verse 50. And you shall, because you see this, you shall see greater things than these. And, and, and sure enough, they would see Jesus Christ heal the lepers. And they'd see him cast out demons. And they'd watch him feed the multitudes. And they would see him open up blind eyes and calm the storm and raise the dead. And they would ultimately see him walk out of the grave on that third day after his crucifixion. They would see greater things than just him spotting somebody sitting underneath a tree. Greater things. In Christ Jesus, there are always greater things. The best is yet to come. In Christ Jesus, the best is yet to come. There are always greater things still to come in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus Christ today, he's calling us, he's calling you. First, he says, follow me. Second, he says, I will give you purpose. I will make you fishers of men. And then he says, you know what? And when you do that, You follow me, you become a fisher of men, and I'm going to show you greater things all throughout your entire life. As the son of man, the Bible said he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That's his manhood. That's the man part of God. The son of man. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The man part of God says, I was touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He knows how we feel. He knows what you go through. He knows your infirmities. He knows your sins. He he knows your weaknesses because he was the perfect son of man. But as the perfect son of God, he has power to transform your life. He has power to take away your sin. He has power to bring you into the family of God. And he says, all power and authority have I given unto you as the son of God. Perfect man, perfect God. And then we tell other people, come and see, come and see what the Lord has done for me. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.